Hello, I'm Eddie French, and you might recognise me from such icy news noises as... <coughs> Daddy! And who could forget... <coughs> well, the good news is, is that I now have my own podcast. It's called Pick Scraped, and it is a fortnightly sketch show uh, made entirely by me. So if that sounds like the sort of thing you'd like, go to wherever you get your podcasts and listen to it. Thank you. Pick Scraped. You're listening to IC News, the only network bringing you the stories from across the multiverse. Responding to the Downing Street flat refurbishment scandal, Sarah Vine says the Prime Minister shouldn't have to live in a skip. And for once, I agree with her. He should be dead in a ditch like he promised. The government fails to reach a deal with Norway over fishing rights for this year. After being asked what the British public are expected to do in the face of the massive shortage of cod it will cause, Liz Truss reportedly replied, let them eat hake. Arlene Foster is to stand down as First Minister after 80% of her DUP colleagues sign a letter of no confidence in her leadership, as it turns out that her party are actually all for terminating things prematurely when they don't think it's what they want anymore. And finally, sales of crocs soar in the pandemic as a direct result of Covid sufferers losing all sense of taste. Hello and welcome. I'm Sam Gore and you're listening to another episode of IC News. We're busy delivering on the people's priorities. So look over there. There, where we're pointing. No, not over there at the enormous pile of corruption and mismanagement. Over there at all the stuff we've done. No, not over there either. That's just Northern Ireland burning. It's not important. Look over there. Over there, goddammit. Why do you keep looking there? Look there. Please, look there. That's better. Now that we've clearly lost our rag and yet somehow still successfully redirected you, it's time to crack on with our horrifying agenda. This week, the conscious uncoupling of Boris Johnson and Dominic Cummings continued to make headlines, as the former Spad's bombshell allegations about the Prime Minister's potentially dodgy decorating donor dealings rumbled on. In a stunning blow to Boris Johnson's already thin credibility, the Electoral Commission this week announced it would be launching an official investigation into just how the refurbishment of his Downing Street flat was initially funded. The Prime Minister himself has repeatedly ducked the question of just who originally paid for the work this week, which is something you definitely do when there's a clear explanation that won't just land you in the shit. This all paired gloriously uncomfortably with the accusation that the charming, lovable Boris, who once offered to arrange to have a fellow journalist battered by thugs, may have angrily screamed that he'd rather see bodies piled high in their thousands than order another lockdown back at the height of the pandemic. The SNP's Ian Blackford performed a thoroughly cheeky reach around on the speaker by asking Boris directly if he was a liar at Prime Minister's questions on Wednesday. Then a visibly apoplectic Johnson well and truly lost his shit at Keir Starmer when he needled him on his commitment to the Nolan principles. Anyone with a thimbleful of common sense understands at this point that Boris Johnson treats the standards expected of him as a public servant with about as much contempt as he treats a cancer-stricken wife. But that doesn't matter when the relationship between the Prime Minister and the wider Conservative Party has always been a transactional one. The party puts up with the ludicrous scandals Boris Johnson's feckless idiocy inevitably produces in return for a cartoon buffoon who wins them elections. 
What remains to be seen is whether or not pulling the pin on Dominic Cummings is a mistake too far for the Prime Minister, given that his once most trusted adviser has always been a Machiavellian shithouse with a hard-on for bureaucratic arson. While the country is left to wonder who it should trust more, the obvious liar from the Rose Garden, or the government who told us at the time that the obvious liar from the Rose Garden wasn't lying and that's the end of the matter, but who now say that the obvious liar from the Rose Garden was in fact obviously lying and that's why we now shouldn't believe his new obvious lies, the Tory backbenches are deeply worried about what a betrayed Dominic Cummings may choose to reveal next. Here at IC News, we can rip off the band-aid of that worry right now, as we've got exclusive access to some of the secret recordings the Prime Minister's former conciliary made at the height of the pandemic. The bombshell conversation you're about to hear took place just a few weeks before the announcement of a third English lockdown. Righto. Um, uh, first of all, everybody, I'd... Uh, uh, well, I'd just like to welcome you all to this Cobra meeting. Uh, thanks for coming. As I know, you've all been very busy. Matt Hancock! Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, Matt. As always, your enthusiasm is jolly appreciated. Jolly appreciated indeed. Uh, uh, everybody, I know we're all ruddy concerned about about how things are uh, uh, proceeding, as it were. And I was just wondering uh, what uh, uh, we, well, uh, what we could do about all that stuff. I believe the prudent thing to do is clearly to order another national lockdown, Prime Minister. Well, I've got a better idea, motherfucker. Why don't you eat my shit and hair? Uh, I beg your pardon, Prime Minister? Just joking. <laughs> Just having a little jape with you. A little light-hearted flippery, um, if, if you will. Strike that from the record, will you? It won't do to have that come back to bite me. Um, 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 where were we? And who are you, by the way? I'm a faceless civil servant, Prime Minister. It just makes me easier to impersonate later on in parody sketches. Righto. Makes sense, I guess. Uh, and how many jobs have you got? Seven, Prime Minister. Smashing. Very industrious. Uh, 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 would you like some money? If, if I give you some, you can't tell anybody about the whole eat my shit and hair thing, OK? <laughs> That'd be lovely, Prime Minister. Thank you. Marvellous. Marvellous. Glad we've got that sorted, everybody. Uh, now, I think that's the end of our pressing business for today. Uh, 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 so if you could all excuse me. I'm sorry, Prime Minister, but... Gavin? Gavin Williamson? I'd forgotten you existed. Uh, what can I do for you? Well, we, um, we, we do need to discuss the pandemic, Prime Minister. The pandemic? Ooh, uh, uh, ghastly bloody thing. Uh, pandemic this... Pandemic that. You're quite right, Gavin. Uh, uh, Matt, how's the pandemic going? Matt Hancock! I see. Is that good? I'm sorry, Prime Minister, but I don't speak Hancock. It didn't sound good. It's not, Prime Minister. Cases are once again rising exponentially, and the NHS again risks being overwhelmed. Buggery, bother and balderdash. Well, you know me, gentlemen. I'm a man of unquestionable priorities, and I always rise to the occasion. <laughs> Particularly uh, when there's a bit of blonde totty involved. Isn't that right, Gavin? I don't know. Mother says impure thoughts are the path to Satan. Well, why don't you ask and check? She's right next to you. Yes, um, hello, pretty. Pretty. <laughs>
Prime Minister, can we please try to stick to the subject in hand? We've been trying to convince you that the country needs another lockdown for some time now. With the greatest respect, you've been rather hard to pin down on this. What the fuck did you just fucking say about me, you little bitch? I'll have you know, I graduated somewhere near the bottom of my classics class in Oxford. And and, and I've been involved in numerous secret plots to beat up journalists, and I have over 300 confirmed mistresses. I am trained in culture warfare, and I'm the top bullshitter in the entire team at the Telegraph. You are nothing to me but just another target. I will wipe you the fuck out with precision, the likes of which has never been seen before on this earth. Mark my fucking words. You think you can get away with saying that shit to me in my own Cobra meeting? Think again, fucker. I'm not sure that any of this is all that productive, Prime Minister. Just joking. Obviously, obviously. Uh, Here, have some more money. Thank you, Prime Minister. Gavin, you're the man in charge of academia. Uh, You should at least be able to put forward a multiple choice question. Why don't you put the proposals to me in clear, simple terms and we'll go from there? Well, it's quite simple, Prime Minister. We have two options. We can... Order another lockdown. I swear to all the gods in the Greek pantheon, I'll stab you in the fucking neck. Or we can do nothing and simply let the bodies pile high in their thousands. Hmm, interesting. Here's my counter-proposal, and I think it should satisfy both sides of the debate. Both sides of the debate? Prime Minister, I'm not sure anyone here is actively in favour of letting thousands of people die. Well, apart from pretty, of course. How about we do nothing for uh, 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 as long as possible and then order another lockdown? Sorry, Prime Minister, I'm not quite sure I understand. You want to cause thousands of unnecessary deaths and then order another national lockdown? Yes, it's the perfect solution. The best of both worlds. But what purpose could that possibly serve? Don't you worry your creepy little head about that, Gavin. One, it'll serve as a convenient distraction from the absolute fuck-up of Brexit. And two, it'll give me enough time to uh, to send out a few WhatsApp messages. Uh, somebody's got to pay for the new curtains. I've got to say, this all sounds monstrously corrupt. Now you're getting it. We'll make a Tory of you yet. Matt Hancock! Jesus Christ, she's just eaten another civil servant. I know I don't know much about schools, but how is this not bullying? Of course, this latest Farago is hardly the first time that the Prime Minister's honesty and integrity have been called into question. His casual mendacity is a concern for many of the opposition parties in Westminster, with the Greens' Caroline Lucas responding to it by spearheading an attempt to force a vote on a potential inquiry into Boris Johnson's truthfulness. She recently co-signed a letter to the Speaker calling for exactly that, alongside the leaders of five other minority parties, with the notable exception of Labour's Keir Starmer. He refused to sign, on the grounds that Labour do not usually sign up to initiatives launched by other opposition parties. It was a weird call, given the need to broaden the church of Labour's appeal, and the obvious urgent need to condemn some of the brazen dishonesty currently coming out of the government. 
We now welcome our latest correspondent to the network, Labour supporter and Keir Starmer enthusiast Joanne Gordon. She has the key to the dimensional gate this week, and she's been using it to try and make sense of some of the Labour leaders' tactics over the last few months. Thanks, Sam. I'm here today to reclaim a word that politics has made downright filthy over the last few years. That's right, I'm a woman, but you can call me the C-word all you like. I'm a centrist, loud and proud. I like my ice cream vanilla, my driving playlist is the greatest hits of status quo, and I like, I say like because love is just too strong a word, isn't it? I like my politicians slavishly committed to fence-sitting and cautious pragmatism. I want my unrocked boat to sail right down the middle of the road. And no, I'm not sure how that metaphor works. I just expect it to work, despite all the evidence suggesting that it doesn't. That's the centrist way to approach an election in the 21st century, and it's the centrist way to approach a metaphor too. For me, Keir Starmer has been a revelation. Identity politics are a thing of the past in this new Labour. In fact, identities in general are a thing of the past. The only thing in the post-Corbyn Labour Party with anything remotely approaching a personality is Zara Sultana's Twitter feed, with an honourable mention going to the occasional David Lammy speech. And that is by design. The British people don't want big, cartoonish, larger-than-life personalities. If they did, Boris Johnson would be leading Labour by double digits right now. And I don't think he is. (laughs) Well, not this week, anyway. (laughs) Surely after everything, he can't be. I'll... uh... I'll have to check. The point is, what the British people want to see is competence. Keir Starmer has that in spades. He's competently banished Jeremy Corbyn, competently alienated the young, passionate base he brought to the party, and competently buried the Ford report. He's a man who doesn't buckle under pressure by doing anything radical, like actually unveiling a policy position that might win back the left-wing support he's rapidly been losing. He's a man who looks at fringe issues that he's decided aren't important to the Red Wall, like whether or not trans people deserve equal human rights, or whether or not undercover police officers should be able to commit state-sanctioned rape and murder. He has the intelligence and political know-how to keep his powder dry, and abstain on, or ignore, all those tricky and yet somehow really morally obvious questions. For centrists like me, though, I have to admit, It can all get a bit depressing waiting for middle-of-the-road politics to make a proper comeback. I had massive hopes for Joe Biden over in the States, but instead of delivering the neoliberal status quo I've been crying out for, he's gone all radical, trying to tax the rich in order to deliver improvements in education and infrastructure like a proper lunatic. Imagine my surprise when it turned out that in the polls, a majority of Americans actually quite like his ideas. If I didn't know better, I could almost believe that left-wing policy, when put to voters by a politician with enough mainstream appeal to build electoral coalitions between moderates and the left, is perfectly palatable to a significant majority of the electorate. Thank God Starmer doesn't seem to be falling for that nasty populist trick. He's a man who understands the political long game. Softly, softly, catchy monkey. hmm? Never interrupt your opponent when he's making a mistake. Also barely criticise your opponent when he's finished making a mistake. And also, don't interrupt your opponent when he's clearly lying, or join in with the other parties in opposition to challenge him on it, or do much to impress... 
well, anyone apart from Tony Blair and that one bloke at The Guardian. It's the art of snore, cleverly building a slow impression in the public consciousness of meticulous level-headedness. It only appears to be utterly insipid and uninspiring. I want more people to appreciate the quiet genius of Keir Starmer's tactical approach the way I do. That's why I've come here, to Earth Delta Maximus Proximo 97. Here, the cut and thrust of British politics is a little more literal. Prime Minister's questions every Wednesday isn't just a debate. (laughs) No, it's a gladiatorial battle, and I'm hoping a clear victory for Starmer here will be enough to prove his critics back home on Earth Prime wrong. Mr Speaker, nobody's attacking individuals. Everybody's supporting the vaccine. Here we go now. They're circling each other. £130 million, Prime Minister. There's a real question about the way that contracts have been awarded. Starmer's used his stomach to completely catch Boris Johnson's sword. He's totally impaled, meaning that Johnson's line of attack is now completely disabled. Oh, that is genius. Oh, yes. Oh, brilliant. Starmer has just allowed Johnson to twist the blade. And Keir has now spilled his entrails all over the floor of the arena. That is a guaranteed slip hazard, Sam. It's just a matter of time now before Boris Johnson really hurts himself. Oh, oh, amazing! Stoner has just laid down in the dirt and died, and Boris Johnson appears to have very mildly stubbed his toe on his corpse. Ha! That is a resounding victory for Labour if I ever saw one. I'm Joanne Gordon, and John Grace is going to fucking cream his shorts over this performance, reporting for IC News. Now, you may not have noticed, but somewhere beyond the dust kicked up by the never-ending Westminster bitch fight, there is in fact a somewhat wider world out there. And it's a world that's still very much struggling with the global pandemic. Here's Tom King with more. It's been a week of absolutely horrendous news coming out of India as the country struggles with an overwhelming second wave of COVID-19. Hospitals have been overrun, oxygen supplies have been all but exhausted, car parks have been turned into makeshift crematoriums just to deal with the amount of dead. It's nothing short of apocalyptic, and the horrifying scenes are a stark reminder that this pandemic is far from over. India's struggles are a dire warning that new variants and complacency when lifting restrictions pose a real danger to the speed of the global recovery. And global recovery is really what we should all be aiming for. With our successful vaccine rollout here in Britain, it's all too easy to feel like Covid is disappearing in the UK's rearview mirror faster than a creepy hitchhiker. We can now afford the pointless luxury of a national psychodrama over which shifty little cunt is telling the fewest lies about a bit of gaudy wallpaper. But for the developing world, priorities are a little different right now. The brute force buying power of the world's richest nations have allowed them to spring out of the gates in the race to vaccinate their populations, but the push to get the rest of the world to a similar point is lagging drastically behind. 
Now, let's not forget, these days, India is hardly the cartoonishly impoverished Oxfam advert racist simpletons picture in their mind when they hear the term the developing world. India is a rapidly growing scientific and economic powerhouse and a global hub for vaccine production. In fact, they've exported over 66 million doses to 95 other countries in an attempt to bolster the global vaccine effort a figure which frankly puts a lot of Western countries to shame. India itself is fully behind one of, if not the biggest vaccine rollouts in the entire world, and they still got caught on the back foot by a brutal new wave of the virus. It's been a stark lesson in how quickly COVID can still rip through densely populated urban areas, particularly where those areas house a young and mobile workforce who are further down the priority queue and therefore less likely to be vaccinated. Now, there are lots of reasons why we should be doing all we can to get as much of the world vaccinated as possible. Firstly, it's a basic moral imperative. It's obviously not remotely fair that lots of poor people should die just because their countries can't afford to jump the vaccine queue in the way the UK and the US have. But this is 21st century Tory Britain we're talking about. So if those of us who aren't willing to offer our tacit approval to the extermination of the world's poor want to see actual action on this, we're going to need some selfish reasons too. So how about this one? Mass transmission disasters like the one now unfolding in India are hotbeds of viral mutation. Where there's lots of virus, there's inevitably lots of new variants. According to one recent survey by the People's Vaccine Alliance, two-thirds of the epidemiologists they contacted are warning that mutations could render our current vaccines ineffective in a year or less. Now, while it's true that it's far easier to tweak an existing COVID vaccine than it is to produce brand new ones, that's clearly not ideal. Vaccinating one country in a bubble while the virus rips through the rest of the world is a bit like jumping in the swimming pool of a leisure centre as it burns down around you. All you're really doing is slowly boiling your own bollocks. The irony of all this is that India themselves suggested a potential solution to this global problem months ago. Alongside South Africa, they proposed a temporary waiver of intellectual property rights and patents for COVID vaccines and treatments, designed to last for the duration of the pandemic, back in October. It's a proposal now supported by over a 100 developing countries, and were it to actually happen, it could massively boost the global vaccination effort by diversifying the supply chain and allowing far more countries to produce their own vaccines locally. It's a suggestion that has the backing of the World Health Organization who have roundly condemned the shocking imbalance we're now seeing around the world in terms of access to vaccines. So why hasn't it happened yet? Well, take a fucking guess. The proposal has so far been stonewalled at the World Trade Organization by governments in the developed world like the US, the EU and yes, you've guessed it, the UK. Big pharma companies have currently got the global supply chain in a headlock, claiming that the waiver could disincentivise them from producing future vaccines. It's outright extortion, and it's also utter bollocks. It was billions of pounds of taxpayer cash that incentivised vaccine development last time, and in the face of potential new variants, that's an incentive that could easily be used again. No pharmaceutical company with a functional COVID vaccine on earth is struggling to turn a profit right now. This is purely a question of margins and corporate greed. 
Solidarity with India is one thing, and obviously what they desperately need right now is oxygen and medical supplies. It's heartening to see the world rally to supply some of that demand, but if we really want to stop the horrendous suffering India are currently enduring from unfolding elsewhere, we should be following their early example of vaccine generosity. And we should be backing their fucking waiver before we all end up with thoroughly boiled bollocks. I'm Tom King, reporting for IC News. Tom's report brings us to the end of our broadcast. We'll be back the same time next week, but for now we leave you with the headlines you may have missed. A gaunt Alexei Navalny appears in court via video link and condemns Vladimir Putin as a tyrant and autocrat. And if you think he looked ill after his hunger strike, you don't even want to know what he would look like now if he'd actually drunk the glowing cups of tea he's been offered in prison. The actor and director Noel Clarke denies a string of sexual harassment and bullying allegations made against him by 20 different women. Sorry, 20? That's not a string, that's a fucking rope. US investigators raid the home of Rudy Giuliani as part of their investigation into his dealings in Ukraine. Trump's personal lawyer is said to be sweating buckets of hair dye as a result. And finally, Amazon triples its profits in the face of shifting consumer habits in the pandemic, as the Chancellor looks forward to getting his hands on three times as much fuck-all in taxes paid by the company. You've been listening to IC News. Thank you and goodbye. me, Danny Sutcliffe. I'm here today with a right bargain for you. And no, it's not just the mystery me I've got in the back of my van. Although that is also primo stuff, so meet me behind our bins and flash your full beams if you're interested. If you haven't joined our Patreon yet, we've got a special offer for you. Sign up now as one of our early bird supporters and you can get access to all of our exclusive content for just £2 a month. If you want bonus podcast sketches, compilation episodes and ICU stories, this is the cheapest you're ever going to get them. You've got to be quick though, this deal is limited to the first 500 patrons and they'll get snapped up quick. It's the best way to show your support for the show and you'll be helping us to grow moving forwards. As always, thank you for all of your support and we hope you enjoy the show. And no, it's not badger me. And if Brian May tries to tell you otherwise, he's a fucking liar.